who needs an introduction to a podcast? You know, I I am who I am, and people might know me, or they might not know me. They might be here because they know you. So does anybody need an introduction to either of us? I feel like not my a lot ego of is know me. way too low to even have a podcast. Why am I doing this? Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of where I'm at too. <laughs> I, it's so weird being in a position where uh, I feel if the internet as a whole, I guess, and primarily social media, if it wasn't a thing where I felt obligated to put myself out there more, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I think a I lot. Agree. I think a lot about like my happiest time as an artist, and it was like way before social media was what it is now. Like I had like MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger and that was it. I think like the whole like having the internet in your pocket all the time thing is an issue. And now we have podcasts where we have to talk about ourselves for hours on end. Yeah. That's really not the best way to start this episode. But everybody, Leo Rogers is here. Make some noise. <laughs> Hey, we've never really had a chance to sit down and talk face-to-face quite like this before. We've known each other for maybe a couple years online. Right. I was thinking about that, yeah. I've seen you at shows, uh, you play in bands, I play in bands, Uh, you send me lots of messages trying to play in my bands Yeah, because you're just trying to play. You're trying to get yourself out there, which is great. I think that it's nice to see young people that still give a shit about wanting to create art. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. But it's just nice to meet people that are like that. So for anybody that doesn't know you, they're here because they know me, but they're curious to know about you. Tell them about Leo. Um, Well, I play drums. That's the main thing that I probably uh, gained your attention for being on this show from. (laughs) Yeah. Also play video games. You probably don't care about my sick like Apex Legends career or something. I don't know. <laughs> Is Maybe that a thing? Do. It's a game that I play very casually. It's not. <laughs> it's not a career at all. It's just like I feel like you don't want to talk about that for an hour. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have. I have absolutely no knowledge of Apex Legends other than I know it's a thing. I've heard people talk about it. So this will be a pretty one-sided conversation. That yeah, we just talked for an hour about that. That's okay. I want to talk about about what (laughs) you're what you're passionate about. So mainly drums, 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 yeah, music, games, pop culture, maybe to some degree. Yeah, I'm always curious because sometimes I do come across people that are into video games or they're really into music, but they're not necessarily fans of like pop culture as a whole. They have like a very nuanced focus on what their interests are. Do you find that you're somebody that's into a lot of stuff or just like specific things? I think a lot of stuff. I like movies generally. Just mm-hmm. I don't have like a specific like genre and I'm certainly not any kind of like film critic, but I like movies. I don't really watch TV shows. Actually, that's one I've watched like probably five TV shows all the way through in my <laughs> life. And one of them was Game of Thrones, which was a real letdown. So my my track record is pretty bad. Sure. Like- I feel like, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones. That was quite a bummer. Started strong, <laughs> a little intense. It like was it started honestly way too intense. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is crazy. And then they calmed it down and it got fun and it was kind of entertaining. And then it just got meh. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm a lot younger than you, too. So when Game of Thrones came out, I was like, 
like 12 or 13. So I was like not it was like not age appropriate at all for me to watch. So I think I watched all of it when season seven was out. Okay. I watched seasons one through seven on HBO in probably like a month or two. Yeah. Like in a summer one time. Yeah. I was probably like 15 or 16. So that's like pretty okay, I think. I mean, probably. I don't know. Uh it, you're gonna learn about things one way or another. I yeah, guess. I don't. I don't know if my parents knew I was watching that. I think I like told them after I was done. I was like, "Yeah, so I just finished Game of Thrones today." They were like, "Oh, wow, how was that? It was cool." Well, I didn't finish it, but I finished season seven in yeah. preparation of season eight. So I'm gonna center you up a little bit. Okay, I like that. That looks better. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No oh, worries. I am. Look at that. Yeah. Shit. Okay. So. You mentioned that you are a little bit younger than me. I think you're probably a whole lot younger than me. Well, I don't know how old you are, and I don't want to like make any assumptions. I don't even know how old you are. Are you 21? I'm 20. 20? You're not even 21. Yeah, I. Uh, so I turned 21 on May 25th. Oh, birthday's coming up. And I play in a bar for Millville Music Festival on May 20th. So I'm going to be five days <laughs> underage for, for Millville Music Festival, and then I'm going to turn 21. That's super rad. So I'm turning 30. 37 this year okay so uh i am almost double your age but yeah. that's okay there was a time where you would have been double my age right so if yeah. you're i'm 21 and you're 37 so you're 16 so when i was 16 you were 32 right i think so there was a point where you were double my age <laughs> so uh, sure i sure i'm not good at math not at all, not quite but, double my age now. um the age doesn't really matter at all i guess the point that i'm getting at is that for someone that is the age that you are, you have plenty of time, obviously, to watch more TV shows or whatever it is that you're going to do. But given your age, I think it's really cool that you've already done as much as you have as far as like music stuff goes. Because when I was your age, I mean, fuck, dude, when I was 20, like I was like, I had like really just started doing my like solo rap stuff mm -hmm. and i was like never even in a band that played a show yet until yeah. i was like 2021 20, that was when we started playing shows because at that time in pittsburgh at my age it was a really weird time locally and they're just i didn't know anybody and it was like hard to play shows like i didn't have friends in high school there was one band in my high school i feel I, like that's still the case it, i feel like high know, school bands get huge shows because they bring their entire high school because they're the yeah. only band at that high school but like when i was like in my 20s and i was playing shows with younger kids um i mean like you know like 16 17, sure yeah not like 10 not, they were like a few years younger yeah. than me but like they went to the same school that i did but there was like a dozen bands all in that school at the same time when like we had like one and like all of those kids got like a little scene together and started doing shows. So now the I'm playing shows with people that are like five, six, up to 10 years younger than me because they're the ones that are doing it. Nobody my age was doing it. It was really weird when I was starting out. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like when I joined, there were other people my age doing it. I, I think I started playing shows when I was like 15 or 16. Um, Probably all my bands and shows I played were like terrible back. But, you know, that's yeah. how everybody goes. But I feel like there were other people. There were like a lot of people my age that were also doing it at that point. I think that that's maybe one thing that was beneficial and a result of social media. Mm -hmm. Like, because like, we're talking, this would be uh, early MySpace era. 
And I think that because like underground music became such a part of pop culture as a result of things like MySpace, mm-hmm. it, everybody wanted to be in a band because it was cool to be in a band and it was cool to like alternative music and cool to say that you were going to shows and you had a way to find other people in other neighborhoods, even though you're all in the same city. Like when you're in high school, sometimes like a neighborhood that's 10 minutes away seems like it's like in a different country. Sure. But you're able to connect with all those people online and start organizing shows. And I think that that really, really helped it a lot. So that's one positive thing that came from I mean, that's how we met, right? We met online. Totally, totally. Um, Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. I think that the first time I ever was like, aware that you were a person that existed was I was recording the first time I'd ever recorded with Matt Berry <laughs> and he has the album yeah. cover the I've seen better album cover with your face with like the weird like uh-huh. distorted so that was the first time I remember seeing that album cover and it made an impression I mean it's a great album cover you know I remembered I was like oh that's that dude with like the weird like <laughs> eye prosthetics or whatever yeah, shout out to Hannah Altman who uh who did that o- old friend photographer Hannah's killing it right now. Uh, elsewhere, no longer in Pittsburgh, but doing their photography thing, killing the game. Awesome human. But yes, I have uh, I've gotten a lot of friend requests on Facebook. And like, I'll be like, who is this person? And then I look and I could see that they're like in the middle of tracking with Matt. <laughs> I'm like, Wait, this is, so this is a thing. It's a thing. A oh, yeah. This happens not like a lot, but it's definitely happened at least like a dozen times. Yeah. For sure. Or like I've like seen people like uh like uh like out in public. Like it shows be like Are you, are you that? The, yeah, are you that <laughs> dude on Matt Very's wall? <laughs> it's a, it's definitely a thing. So again, yeah, that's that's really, really funny. So yeah, tracking with Matt. And what what band would that have been at that time? So I was playing in like an indie rock band called The Knots. Okay. Um, and that was probably like the first band I played in that like did a lot of shows and then actually recorded something because that's like a huge like I feel like you can like jamming is a hard step and then playing a show is a hard step and then recording music is like a huge mile like most bands don't make it to the recording phase right totally like I feel like 90% probably don't ever record anything no 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 certainly not like in a studio maybe you have like a phone record but like not like an actual like like polished recording that you can like put online and it sounds like a real song Mm -hmm. so yeah so that was really cool um that was a great experience um I think that every musician should probably record themselves a lot because I had this experience that I think most people probably do where I this is the first time I'd really recorded in like a nice studio like that. And so I'm hearing what I think I sound like in my head. And then I go into the control room and listen back and I'm like, oh, God, I yeah. suck. It's right? like it's like that equivalent of like looking at yourself in a mirror with proper lighting versus like the terrible lighting that's in your home. And like, you could see like every little pore and all the weird stuff on your face. And you're like, I look like that. Or even just a picture. Yeah. How many times do you see like somebody else post a picture of an event you were at? And you're like, Oh God, is that what I look like? Like, You're making like a horrible face. Uh Yeah. 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 No, that's definitely happens with recording. And I, I do want to piggyback off of your statement that uh, people should record themselves demo themselves a lot because especially like there's so many different layers to this because whenever you're in a rehearsal space sometimes everything isn't like you're just 
you're lucky if you can hear everybody else in the room in a rehearsal space. Absolutely. And, Especially and, vocals. If you yeah. can hear this, if you can hear what words, like if you know the lyrics to your own uh -huh. song as not the singer, that's like a huge thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of the times I've seen this happen where you get to a studio and like you got everybody else in the band is there and you start recording stuff and you're like, wait, that's what you're playing? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> You know, or like this does not sound good together. Like it's like the guitar and the bass might like not be good for like not like fit mm -hmm. the song at all. But it's just like they've never heard what the other person is playing. Yeah. So it's like, oh, God, this is like. Yeah, totally. So I think that it's incredibly beneficial just for like the songwriting process. Now, I mean, granted, if you just want to like be like, you know, kind of like loose, raw, punk and all that sure. stuff, you can figure it out. But if you're like trying to have uh, any sort of like a real solid songwriting or like more polished production to whatever you're trying to do. I think it's really, really good to be able to demo yourself so you could hear all of that stuff and know uh, what everybody else is doing, understand like what you need to do to make the song as best as it can be. And then also the other positive thing that you get from recording yourself, if you start to get like, kind of knowledgeable and understand terms when you're in a studio you can then tell the producer or the engineer or the matt very of the room like oh hey like this is what i want like i need more of this sort of an effect more of this sort of a thing just because like you will understand the the process a little bit more so you could communicate with them and then be on the same page together and have a nice productive outcome you know what i mean yeah i agree i think i definitely gained a lot of that experience as well with drums and other stuff specifically with drums i just kind of learned a lot more like kind of vocabulary and then also like application where it's like oh i think my i think my floor tom rezo head is tuned too high because we're getting these weird overtones in the room mic and that's yeah. like something i never would have known totally even I mean, even just learning how to tune drums, like doing it on a recording is so different than just doing it in like a practice room that like I had to kind of reevaluate how all my things sound because like I was practicing in I think a basement at that point. And then I thought it sounded good in my basement. And then I get it in his awesome like sound treated live room and it doesn't sound the same. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that experience is definitely really good. Just be and it saves time too. like then when you go to record with the next person, you don't have to try to like 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 verbalize this abstract concept you like have a word for it and mm -hmm. so it's like oh like i think that my i think my like mix is too low or something it's not like can you make the beeps a little bit <laughs> louder than the you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's understanding the vocabulary so you can communicate with people is really important pretty much in any work situation or maybe even in any situation dealing with human beings regardless of the application right yeah. understanding how to talk to each other and what what like blah 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 i like how i stumble over my words one literally well when i'm yeah i'm stumbling over my words talking about talking proper communication and yeah talking about talking uh, i don't have the boo button anymore but if i did <laughs> i'd be slamming it uh so yeah, that's all really important stuff. And I think that it's really, really cool that, you know, you're absorbing that information. And I'm always excited to like sit down and talk with people whose brains think like that because, like, you know, down the road, it's just really going to help you out in terms of 
anything that you're doing with music or just in general, like learning, knowing how to like communicate with the people in your band during the like whole writing process and understanding like what you want out of a song, what other people want out of a song. What's the end goal of this song? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here with the song and with the recording? There's a whole lot of stuff that I think a lot of people don't always think about, which is why, like you said, a lot of the time bands don't even get to that point where they have a recording because there's it, it, it gets surprisingly complicated, even though it seems like a really simple thing. Just go set up, play the songs and you're done. But there's a lot more right. nuance to it than that. I think people also don't know how long it takes and how much money it costs. Too. That's a big thing. Me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me, because Matt's kind of like a buddy now. We like hang out and stuff. And he's been giving me some like session, like cold calls to get the needs drummers, which is awesome. And we joke about how like people, I mean, he, he has this experience more than I do. People will like book like a four hour session and then show up and think that they're going to like have a song. It's yeah. just like one song, please. It's like you're going to like the barbershop or uh -huh. something. It's just like you booked like a couple hours and you're like done. And it's it's not like that at all. No, it's like days or weeks or like months, and then it, everything is going to be harder than you think. Like yeah. everything's going to take longer than you and think. I think it's also like really funny too. And I know that Matt's had to deal with this. I like I like how like Matt's the third Matt's person the third on this like podcast. It's like, where are you at, Matt? Where's he at? He just pops up. Introducing um, Matt. Berry. He's <laughs> yeah. like Watson. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, but he, uh, I know that Matt's dealt with this and I'm sure most recording engineers mm. have dealt with this where uh, you're going to somebody, you're hiring somebody because they're really good at doing something. Like Matt records bands really well and you're going to him because you need somebody that records bands really well. But you, sh there, I know that he's dealt with this where you show people show up and they don't have that like he might be like oh like you need to tune your drums or like that guitar head isn't going to work the way that you want it to and they're like what are you talking about i don't have to tune my drums it always sounds fine in my space and right like, you get a lot of pushback where it would be like you know the equivalent of like going to get a tattoo and be like you're doing that tattoo wrong it's like what are you talking yeah, like, about yeah like that's not the needle <laughs> i want it's like well, <laughs> do your own tattoo then exactly like, fuck off. exactly like, yeah. So it's cool that um, it seems that your brain is a lot more like a sponge at this period of time. And like, you know, whenever you were first uh, getting into these situations, did you have any sort of like weird pushback? Like, whoa, like about like realizing that like your setup didn't sound the way that it should in the studio? Or were you like, I guess I'm wrong. Are you somebody that's okay with being wrong I i'm definitely okay with being wrong i try to be i mean i'm sure i have yeah. times where i'm like no <laughs> i can't be wrong but i think generally i try really hard to be like objective yeah. and like when i show people music i'm like do you think this sucks because like i don't want like an echo chamber if somebody thinks it sucks i want to like hear that yeah. from people it's it's really really hard to have that mindset as an artist because there is part of like great art that comes from like an inherently selfish and egotistical and kind of just like I'm the boss sort of attitude. Like you need to have it, especially if you're doing like rock music, it got to have grit teeth, but like having that like empathy to be like, maybe this isn't good or maybe this isn't what anybody wants to hear. Maybe it's too selfish. It's like something that took me a very, very long time to be comfortable with, you know, just the idea of being wrong. Yeah. So yeah, weird. I, th I think also with, 
you're you're talking about like your goals and like what you want the song outcome to be i think it also depends largely on on the situation you're in and like what your goals are and what the people around you's goals are because i know bands who don't play out like they just don't want to and and my artists too like they just like writing songs just for them it might be like a therapeutic or a stress sure. relief kind of thing and so if you're in that situation and it's just all about your own therapy then it really doesn't matter what anybody thinks right like who gives a shit if everybody else thinks it sounds terrible but it's helping you and that's your only goal then then that's fine i think sometimes the problem might arise when people have that mindset of like this is just for me this is my art but then they also want to promote their band and be famous and all yeah. that kind of things where it's like you know if it's just about you and your art and that's all you want out of it that's great if you want to have an audience and you know have maybe a spotify following or whatever it's kind of like a customer's always right situation. You know, sure. if, you, if you're trying to get people to listen and all the people who are listening think it sucks, then maybe you're not going to get a lot of listeners. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I've talked about this a million times on the show, so I apologize to repeat <laughs> listeners. But just the whole concept of music being a conversation between the performer and the listener. And if you're speaking in a language or having a conversation that people aren't going to understand or be interested in, then how can you expect them to want to latch on or be a part of what you're offering to the world? It's a really interesting thing, like putting art into the world and just expecting people to latch onto it, expecting people to give it time. It's like a really, really intimate thing. Mm -hmm. Like if I make a song or make a whole record, you know, and somebody legitimately takes 40 minutes out of their life to listen to it once and maybe even multiple times. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. You know, absolutely. to think about like, you know, it's a really and like music is so tied in to a lot of things in a very important way that we don't always think about. Like if somebody is having like a house party and they decide they want to put on one of my songs in the background to be you know, the soundtrack mm -hmm. to the evening, that's huge. And if that's something that people in that environment can vibe with just for that little bit of time, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And I, I love all, I love the idea of those sorts of things. But realistically, if I'm going to be the person who put the person who people would want to play at a house party or want to go see live or want to just listen to, I need to make sure that the music that I'm putting out is accessible in some way and like encompassing and just a conversation that people want to be a part of so it can be a part of their life and it was like really hard for me to drop the selfishness of a lot of my music when I was younger because like I just was like coming from like a very angsty sort of self-deprecating uh just selfish a lot of my like music was just very selfish I just didn't have that understanding and uh and then I kind of like figured like out like why does nobody want to listen to this? And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well, who wants to be around somebody that just complains all the time? Nobody wants to hang out right. with that person. And I'm just do I'm just giving them the musical Equivalent version of, of that. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Like you could still complain, but in an inviting way. 
right sure yeah <laughs> so i had to like figure out how to do that and that's just like the new like the nuance of songwriting because it's like i think that musically i was like okay well these are structured songs and sure. lyrically it's structured properly but the nuance of what the actual words are is the issue yeah you know what i mean and i think that people especially i think of this with like long-running artists that have been famous and had a career for 5, 10, 20 years. Uh-huh. It's hard to like keep that view. I th- a really good idea, a really good example of this I think about sometimes is Eminem because in his earlier stuff, he was like super poor, like, you know, like shitty upbringing, like didn't really have anything else going for him. I think he like failed out of high school or something. And so when he's rapping and like dissing all these like mainstream celebrities or news reporters or whoever's trying to like put him down, People identified with that. You know, I think that was a big draw is that he was kind of like an outsider being like, you know, fuck Hollywood, fuck the system, whatever. And then now, 20 odd years later, he's kind of still doing the same thing and it doesn't hit the same way. No. Because now he's a millionaire celebrity. (laughs) And so like now him like dissing other rappers who are like 20 is just lame. You know, it's just like, it's like this, like, it's just like punching down. You know, it's Uh like this like legendary, like, you know, like superstar status rapper making fun of like, I don't know, like newer up and coming rappers. And it just doesn't hit the same. And it's I think it's hard for people like that who had a had an angle maybe when they were starting to like maintain that over time. Yeah, no, that's a a really, really good point. Uh, and a very astute observation. I think that, you know, as an artist it's really really hard i think it's really really hard as an artist if you get popular young right i think like because now it's like a first impressions last and like you got you kind of got you i think eminem understands where his bread is buttered mm-hmm. he got popular off of being that young antagonistic little like you know uh rude goblin of a human being right it was just kind of like <laughs> right you know what i mean and uh but as you get old it starts to get kind of weird and i've had kind of the same thing with bands like like pop punk bands like mm-hmm. blink 182 like and those guys are in their like 40s I mean, going on 50 sure like. sure sure and the thing is like great music like you know like i'm not gonna take away what the impact that that band has had on rock music as a whole and pop culture. But like, it's so weird to just be like pushing the ages that they are, but still singing like teenage music or even writing new teenage music. I think it's less weird when they play like first date that they wrote (laughs) like 15 years ago. Uh It's a whole different thing when like whatever, what the fuck was their new album? Whatever the new album was called writing about those same topics in their like 30s and 40s you know it's like i don't think it's as bad to perform a song that was at least like age appropriate the t- at the time as it is to keep writing from that perspective yeah. when you're clearly like those guys aren't they're not talking about like being nervous on a first date like that's not something people in there well maybe they do i don't know but <laughs> probably not right yeah it's interesting because this is like honestly you know in the idea of pop culture, I think this is really we're kind of bands like Blink-182 are kind of guinea pigs in a way because 
they're like the first wave of bands that are really kind of like in a position where they're getting older, but they got popular off of writing like really adolescent music and they're all still around. When you think about like some other bands that were like really popular, I mean, like one would be the Beatles, right? Sure. And this is like, I can't believe I'm comparing the Beatles to Blink-182, but the Beatles entire discography lasted seven years. Right. All of that happened in less than a decade. And then, you know, some people died, band band broke up, like it was done. Yeah. You know, and then like who would be another band like a like a Led Zeppelin or something. Sure. You know, and like there's like all of these like older rock bands that just had very short lifespans. But yeah. now like starting in like the 80s throughout the 90s and now through 2000s, we have these bands where it's like it's great that nobody's dying and it's great that these bands are still together. But like it's really strange because I've we've never necessarily had a situation where you have like a Blink-182 whose lifespan as a band is three times as long as the Beatles. So they're yeah. still able to like put out music and tour and write. But it's kind of like when when and why and how do we hang this up? You know, right. it's kind of like talking about movies again. Like movie franchises just kind of need to end at some point. Like we yeah. can't keep making Back to the Future <laughs> movies. Like we could, but the first three were really good. And it's like Blink-182. Those first three records were really good. Do we yeah. need to keep making Blink-182 records or can this be done? Yeah, because there reaches a <laughs> certain point where they're almost like a tribute band to themselves. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, Seriously. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, like Kiss doing their like final, 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 you know, <laughs> last hurrah uh-huh. tour or whatever. It's like they haven't put out a hit in 30 years and they're still like just playing the same songs they used to play when they were like young, yeah. like the 80s. You know, it's like... Or like another, a good example of this, and this is kind of on the border. It was like the Hell Omega tour, oh, where like there's a Fallout Boy Weezer, Fallout Boy Weezer, Green, Green Day. Day. Yeah. Weezer is probably the least, the least like egregious one of these. But like most of those guys have not had, they've had hits, but not to the level that they did in the early 2000s. And so I didn't go to that tour, but I had a lot of friends who went and talked about it. And they pretty much just, it was just like a greatest hits compilation. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a next progression in their musical career. It was just like, you know, like Fall Out Boy doing like Sugar We're Going Down and Dance sure. Dance and Green Day doing Jesus yeah. of Suburbia and, you know, America, you know, all those like, huge hits from 15 20 years ago they're just playing the same shit you know yeah and like it's weird because i guess like as a fan i suppose i can be empathetic to anybody who is younger that never got a chance to see any of those bands or maybe even if they aren't younger maybe they just never got a chance sure. to see fallout boy or Gre- i never saw green day live i wish i would have seen green I've day i've never live. seen green day live still i mean i, I don't <laughs> i don't think that i want to see green day live now if I could like time machine back to like Insomniac, Nimrod, right. era Green Day, like sign me up, you know, right. Whenever Elon Musk invents a time machine or whatever the yeah, fuck he's sure. going to do. Right. You know, uh, that's what I'll do. I'm going to go. Actually, no, I'd go back to see early Van Halen. <laughs> that that would be my number one. Just David Lee Roth being a maniac. But it's really, really, again, I, I, I get, yeah. So my ultimate point on this is just like, how long should bands keep making, like how long should bands keep doing this stuff? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to me. It's just, and everybody's doing it now. All these like 10 year album reunion tour and all this stuff. Yeah. But I get it. It's like, as a, as an artist from the artist side of it, like 
they're probably making a lot of money for themselves and their family and for the labels and all that stuff that, you know, debts to pay and things to do and being an adult isn't easy. So Yeah, and also, like, I can't imagine as, like, an artist, like, a no-name DIY artist like myself, I can't imagine performing in an arena. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like. And most people don't get to do that, right? The percentage of people who are musicians compared to the people who play in front of tens of thousands of people yeah. is, like, a speck, right? Yeah. So, like, I can understand, like, like man, it's kind of lame that these bands that have been around for 40 years are still doing the same shit. But also, it's like, man, if I got to do that, I wouldn't want to quit either. Like, that's sure. got to be, like, the one of the biggest, like, the biggest, like, adrenaline rush you can experience as a human. Sure. I think ultimately the thing that just really bums me out is the whole idea that like, you know, like Blink-182. Okay, like Travis Barker is in Blink-182 and he's basically been the blueprint of all pop punk for the past three decades. Yeah. Like, you know, his, his influence with what he did playing drums and we can kind of get into a conversation about influential drummers sure. in a moment. But uh him and then up to now where like you know the whole reason machine gun kelly is worth anything is because travis barker's in his back pocket oh yeah absolutely you know and like travis barker and company are writing all of these super sick songs and then you know mgk is just doing his dollar store little peep ripoff thing right and uh making money whatever that's fine but uh the thing the point i wanted to get at is like if Blink-182 wanted to evolve and write really good music, like really like forward thinking, mature, still like pop punk, but something that was a little bit more, a little less adolescent, I think they could. And I think they could do it really well, but they probably don't know. Don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not going to, it's just not going to work. It's like we could like work really hard and try to like push the genre forward and maybe it would resonate with people and maybe it wouldn't. Or we can just keep touring on the same 30 hits that everybody knows and keep playing, you know, arenas making millions of dollars. Yeah. So it's like, hmm, like, what mean, do we want? You know, it's cool though, because like you like, even though they're not necessarily pop punk, I would say they're kind of like pop punk adjacent in some facets but like a band like turnstile mm -hmm. which you know came out of like i mean they're like kind of hardcore kind of pop punk mm -hmm. kind of like you know hard met like not metal but they have like a like, yeah, yeah you know they, sure, yeah. they have faster parts they're kind of ripping every once in yeah, a while sure a little tlc yeah that shit smacks man yeah. but like it's cool because you have like younger bands like them that I think are pushing pushing the genre forward and I think they're going to be incredibly influential to a whole new demographic of bands and maybe it's okay if Blink-182 is just Blink-182. Yo, there's going to be a day when Blink-182 is on like WDVE if they're not already, the, like the classic rock station mm -hmm. and that's going to be real real weird it was like um i saw a lot of my friends on facebook talking about the super bowl and how like all those like 90s <laughs> early 2000s rappers and there was this one tweet that was really great it was like it was like me a millennial is like man i'm so glad they're finally having music that younger people like wait a minute <laughs> it's like it's like man the the 90s rappers are now like the like dad rock equivalent uh -huh. you know what i mean it's yeah. like now they're like 20 plus years old uh -huh. all these yeah. kids are it's like, like our earth wind and fire right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah
That's so fucking funny. So rewinding influential drummers, influential musicians as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess go. Who are some people that yeah. I'm influenced <laughs> by? Um, so my biggest one that really got me from somebody who plays drums in my basement to somebody who wants to perform live. And this is like, this is kind of a weird, like, I get a lot of weird looks for this, but Josh Dunn from 21 Pilots was oh. a huge, huge drummer inspiration. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that I, I've had a lot of conversations with this. Like, if you don't like their music, fine. I think that 21 Pilots is almost the like 2020s version of like Limp Biscuit, where everybody just kind of jumps on like the bandwagon, like like hating like they're a lame band. And it's like Limp Biscuit has you know they're good. Uh, like, I, I, you know I, what I mean? Like, I would I would I would put them more in like Lincoln Park. Oh no, I don't yeah. mean genre. Yeah. I mean in, tor- in uh, terms, terms of, of like oh, yeah. people that that everybody just shits on well, for no okay. reason. So the interesting thing about Twenty One Pilots is I think that they have incredible songwriting skill. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I don't like about Twenty One Pilots is that they are a band when uh, the standard for studio production is what it is now. I think all of their studio albums are way too polished, but that's just a result of what people want to hear and what pop music is now. So you want if, it to be a little more raw, a little yeah, more unpolished. Yeah, it, I, I, we, we'll we'll get into it in a second, but um, I think that if Twenty One Pilots was a band when like Limp Biscuit, Lincoln Park, in that like early two thousands era, we probably would have had a much rawer sound from their records. You know, a little bit more uh, organic instrumentation, a little bit more live drums that sound like live drums mm-hmm. and not as processed as the studio stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the um, the Twenty One Pilots Mute Math? Yes. Thing. Yes, that's awesome. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm like, if this band sounded like that all the time, they would be one of my favorite modern bands. But they would also not be selling out stadiums if they sounded like that. And that's what this is kind of getting away from drummers again. But you were saying kind of going back to like when you're first starting out and you have to not stick to everything you want to hear to appeal to people. Then there's the other side of it. Like like you have a point where like, okay, this is exactly how I want it to sound, but nobody's going to listen to this. And then you have the opposite where you're catering so much to what's going to do well on radio that you're not being true to your art. Sure. You know what I mean? Like you, you Absolutely. have like both sides of it, and it's really hard to find a fine point because that's always the number one criticism. Well, well, there's okay, so there's two big criticisms of bands: they never changed or they changed too much. Those are the two <laughs> biggest like criticisms that like any band talking, gets. like us talking about Blink One Eighty Two, right? Tell, yeah, telling them like what they should and shouldn't, right? Be. Exactly. I'm just, I'm just shooting off the cuff. You yeah, know of I mean? course, of but course. I, yeah. I think an interesting band to bring up with this conversation in terms of has a band changed too much or not enough? Paramore. Yeah. So. My argument for Paramore is that they've always been a pop band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah. you know, sure, when they put out uh, All We Know Is Falling and when they put out Riot, you know, what pop music was at that time, what pop rock was, was exactly what they were doing. Yeah, had it some somewhat distorted guitars, yeah, some, it, like, yeah. pop punk riffs, yeah. of, you know, live drums, yeah. But now, like, they've just evolved with what pop 
pop rock is now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of pop rock, I mean, the last album that they put out was After Laughter, I think was the name of it, right? That's the one with like, I, pop, I'm not pop. honestly like a huge, huge, like I don't, I know them, but I don't uh, like follow them uh, super yeah, closely. One but of the, sure, yeah, sure. One of the best drummers in modern rock. Love that dude. But uh, we can get into that conversation later. Um, the whole point though is that they've just like really leaned into what pop rock is. So mm-hmm. it's like, the band hasn't changed fundamentally. I just think that like what pop rock is has changed and it's evolved and it's grown, but maybe the listener's palate hasn't grown. There's a lot of times where people like, you know, I think it's really easy to fall in love with like one kind of music. And then that's the kind of music that you like for the rest of your life in the same way that like maybe you grow up eating a certain kind of food and that's just the food that you like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, no matter what, like, I'm always just going to like, you know, early 2000s Blink-182. And no matter what, I'm just always going to be a chicken tenders, french fries kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, does your palate expand? Yeah. A lot of people just don't have interest in, like, growing or changing. So when things that they love change, it could be really, really hard for them to want to get on board with it. So that's the other thing, too. It's like, should we really blame fallout boy and green day and weezer for going on that tour when there are so many people that actually don't want change they just want to hear Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over and over again right yeah it's always i am i mean i've obviously never been in a band that has 10 years or more of discography backlog but that's got to be even just pitching a set list it's like we need to we want to promote the new stuff but we also need to play the hits because that's what people want to hear and maybe there's a deep cut that we really like but maybe nobody wants to hear that like yeah that's got to be such a hard dilemma when which i have no experience in but that's got to be hard when you get to the point where you have like several albums that people love and you got to like pick what songs you're going to play from each Mm -hmm. album or just ditch an album together and don't play alive at all yeah i think that um, back on the conversation of influential drummers and uh, Josh from Josh Tony, Dunn is Josh the, Dunn yeah. from Twenty One Pilots. Uh, you know, I think that it seems like you're somebody that's into a lot of different music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot definitely. of I think that like the only common thread with a lot of the music that I would assume you're into is energy. Um, not necessarily like, 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 uh, not super chill, like folk rock or something. Is that what you mean by energy? Or no, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Just like, just like, like, cause I think something could be chill, but still have like a good energy and like a, like a good attitude. Oh, I see. Okay. You know I thought I mean? you meant like, like, like energetic. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, agree I think with that. that like, there's a lot of like, like, like good kinetic energy. Like, you know, like there's always something moving, lots of dynamics and that sort of stuff. And like sure. 21 Pilots is a very dynamic band. Mm-hmm. Very, a lot of kinetic energy going on in terms of like the rhythms and the songs. It's like, you know, sometimes it might be pushing on like just straight pop. Sometimes it's more like reggae influence. Sometimes it's just like hip hop, just straight, straight hip-hop, rap, straight yeah. rap. Um, and then other times it could be like this weird mixture of something that sounds like nothing but them, which mm-hmm. is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Um, I've been playing with um, playing drums with this dude. Um, it's sort of like a band solo thing where it's like it's one guy's creative project, but then he also has other musicians that play in studio and live with him. But ultimately, it's like one dude. Um, it's called Delizio. Um, it's a dude named Mark um, who actually Matt Berry got me in touch with going <laughs> back to that conversation. Um, yeah, and he kind of does a similar thing, um, especially like this new album he's working on that I've played on a couple of tracks. 
um, it's kind of like a lot of stuff. It's kind of there's definitely like pop influence. There's some like rap, hip hop influence. There's um, there's a song I played on that I am so excited for the world to see. I played on it like a year ago, and I think it's probably still not coming out for a while. But this is like probably my favorite song I've ever played on. That's very like Bee Gees inspired. It's oh, like cool. modern like disco jam, very like staying alive, like Saturday Night <laughs> Fever yeah. kind of vibes. Um. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I think it's really cool when people are able to incorporate a lot of stuff, um, a lot of genres. And then you get into the thing where it's like, oh, what kind of style of music do you play? And it's like, oh, God, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you list like 50 different genres yeah. or like 50 different subgenres. That's always been a huge issue for me with, um, I guess, like my solo hip-hop stuff that mm -hmm. eventually has now morphed into whatever the fuck normal creature sure. is. Sure, yeah, now it's more of a band, right? Yeah, I would and, assume. But it's still, like, really, really hard trying to explain to people what it is. And then, like, with the new stuff that we're doing, uh, it's getting even harder. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, like, for a long time, I struggled with something that we were talking about before in terms of just, like, what, you know, what am i doing is this you know i want this to be like at its core a hip-hop project mm -hmm. but i also want there to be rock influence but i don't want it to be like rap rock i don't want people to think that like this is like limp biscuit because sure, it's not. not and like you know it's like how do i explain to people what i'm doing how do i want to you know how do i want to go about this and i think that I was really hung up on it for a long time, but now um, I'm just kind of being very unapologetically selfish. And I'm just like, you know, this is like, I still can't tell you what kind of music this is, but I could say that like, we should probably be playing with heavy bands. Sure. You know, like yeah. a lot of times we get put like with like either like other rappers that don't have a band or like, metal indie rock bands or things like that like we don't get put uh, you I don't rather, get on metal but yeah i would yeah, rather yeah. play with metal bands especially yeah, sure. with the shit that we're it's just like it's just because like i would rather be the band that is not intense enough instead of the band that's too intense because like we've been like put on like <laughs> stages at places where Everybody else that playing is like reasonably family friendly. And then you're and granted, just like <laughs> we're it's not that we're not family friendly. It's not vulgar. It's just it's not like, vulgar, but it's intense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the music's weird. It's loud. I'm gonna be yelling. Yeah, I've been there I too. Might, you know, there might be puke. No, I'm joking. I've never thrown up. That's good. <laughs> I'm just a, saying, but you never know what could happen. Yeah, that was funny. I um over quarantine, I was playing with like a pop punk band, and then we dispersed shortly after shows opened back up, which was really sad. But one of the only shows we played was um our guitarist's friend was having like he had got like like pretty like wealthy parents. They got like a nice like like lake house in Erie, so they were having a house party, and they do this annually, and they had us open for them. So I had no idea what to expect, and we get there, and it's a bunch of like rich sixty year old like white people, and we're playing this like angsty. And the band that that we're like opening for was like they're great. They're called the Vex. They're awesome, but they're much more chill like indie rock. Yeah. So we show up playing like like pop punk with some like metal influences for these like people that are in their like bathing suits, like chilling, like having like a cookout in their uh -huh. like nice lake house. 
same kind of thing. It was like, man, this does not feel like we're in the right place. Yeah. It's like uncomfortable because you're going to play what you're going to play. But then it's like, man, these people are not probably going to enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really, really hard for me as a performer. If like if the room doesn't feel comfortable, I can't like perform properly. Yeah, it's hard. That's one of the things I liked about drums is that I'm just kind of hiding my little drummer <laughs> sure. cockpit in the back. So like, no, like I'm not really like the the focal point most of the time. Uh, I mean, I guess occasionally get like an Anderson Pack who's like the lead singer and plays drums. I don't sing at all, so I'm just playing drums. So that's kind of a benefit for me. It's like if we're in a room and like the audience is not vibing, I'm just over here hitting stuff. You know, like the singer's <laughs> got to worry about like uh-huh. interacting with the crowd. I mean, I try to interact. I try to be like engaging to watch because, um, you know, I try to do the performance thing to some extent. You know, I, I don't want to just be like, you know, eyes closed, like about to fall asleep. Playing. You know, I want to. I want to be a performer too, but yeah. it's not like I feel like the impetus isn't as on me to entertain people as much. Sure, I think that it's really important for uh, rock drummers to just have like a lot of energy and just hit hit the drums. It's a rock band. Nothing. I have such a pet peeve against drummers in rock bands that play light. Yeah, it really, really bothers me. And that's something I've honestly been working on a lot because playing loud and hitting the drums really hard are not the same thing. Yeah. You can be very chill and play super loud. That's one thing that um I do you know Alexi Morrissey at all? Uh-uh. He's like a he does a lot of like stand up and like he hosts stuff. He's just like a local dude that I'm friends with. Um so I did a show a couple weeks ago with my band Harkin, who you know. Yeah. Um we played at Whisper Nest, that new bar in Millvale. And Alexi came and he's a big music fan. It was super nice of him to come. And he probably gave me the nicest drummer compliment I've ever heard, which was, he was like, you're so chill and relaxed. You look like a jazz drummer, but you sound like a rock drummer. And that was like the nicest, like that was like the most like person, like, uh-huh. yeah, because it's like, you don't have to, you don't want to be too quiet, right? People need to hear you, but you also don't have to beat the shit out of your instrument. People think that like the guys who play really loud are just like gorillas, just like banging on the drums. And that's definitely not true. Like drums have a certain level where they're not going to get any louder. Like there's a certain point where you can hit it harder and harder and harder. And it's like, it can only project so much sound, right? Yeah. So like you have to find the balance where like you have a good mix for yourself, you know, the kick drum, the snare drum, everything sounds unison. It's loud enough. It has enough energy, but you're not too quiet that people can't hear you and you're not beating the shit out of it to the point where you're like breaking cymbals and like killing. Because if yeah. you hit too hard, you actually make it sound worse. If you just like absolutely beat the shit out of your snare, it's going to sound worse than like a nice, good technique, yeah. solid hit. Yeah, I think that, you know, you could watch drum playthroughs of some of the most intense metal drummers that play in some of the heaviest, mm-hmm. brutal stuff that you would ever hear and just watch them play and they're just coasting. Mm-hmm. They might be flying. There's a ton of energy. You could hear it, but it's just, again, in that technique, it's not like it's all like in the wrist, right? Right. And it's not like you got to go like this, just, you know, yeah, and strengthen actually- those things. You actually have to be more relaxed the faster you go. Like when you watch like death metal drummers and they're playing like 
300 BPM yeah. last beats or something. Like when you're when you're playing slower and you're kind of learning, you can kind of like really move your arms into it. When you're playing at those tempos, you can't you can't be like flailing <laughs> your arms. It's all like little little like twitchy like like wrist and finger muscles making those crazy noises. It's not like so that's an interesting thing. And I think a lot of a lot of drummers and myself included have like a weird realization where you're like, okay, I'm trying to play faster and heavier and more intense. And I actually need to relax more than if I'm just like keeping a, I mean, a rock backbeat. It's, there's a really similar thing in terms of like doing vocals mm -hmm. in terms of like, to like, you don't have to like, you don't have to force yourself to be loud, to be loud mm -hmm. um, with singing and projecting like, like uh, especially with like, um, like the heavy metal, death metal-y vocal thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy for people in the way that they might want to beat the shit out of the drums to like blow their fucking throat out because they're trying to do this intense guttural noise. But there's ways to do it where you don't need to like thrash your vocal cords if you learn the technique and do it properly. Yeah, because you're gonna injure yourself. I mean, how yeah. many like like I know like um Bring Me the Horizon's a good example. Like the singer in Bring Me the Horizon has gotten like a couple like vocal cord surgeries because he's actually like tore stuff with bad technique. And now their newer stuff, like I mean I like their stuff. I'm definitely not like, oh the old shit was good, but he can't do those streams that he he physically can't. He ruined his vocal cords so much that now he like can't do what he used to. In drums you definitely get the same thing. Like when you're young like when you're like my age you can get away with bad technique but if you're trying to play for like 30 years you really got to learn how to do it right now because you're going to give yourself problems later in life absolutely with playing drums is there any bands or maybe just genres of music that you have grown in appreciation for strictly out of the approaches to like the drums Definitely and metal and heavier stuff. Yeah. I remember even like two or three years ago, I didn't really listen to much of any heavier music. There were a couple I could get into like Rage Against the Machine, um, System of a Down. A newer one would be like um like Stray from the Path. There, yeah. yeah. But that was kind of it. I could never get a whole lot heavier than that. Kind of like light metalcore, but it had to be pretty like I mean, like even facing. like all of those bands, um, they have like pop sensibilities yeah, in absolutely. terms of just like catchy songs mm -hmm. and like reliable rhythms and grooves that you can kind of get into. And I and I liked that stuff at all. You know, I like having pop sensibilities even in heavier bands that I listen to. That's just something I enjoy. Probably going back to what you were saying about energy. But yeah, I think I think listening to heavier music and starting to try to play along to it really kind of went went you know uh together went side by side where it's like like man this this sounds cool on drums i should learn to play this and it's like oh man this is really hard i should go listen to it more and then it's just like and now I, i'm honestly like getting to into more like deathcore stuff that like i never would have listened to two years ago like it's definitely like learning new styles of music and playing it with drums has pushed me to listen to stuff that i would never have listened to a couple years ago and i hope that'll still I hope in two years now I'll be, yeah. you know, I'll be listening to stuff that I wouldn't listen to now. You know, I think that there's part of just the the creative mind and wanting to learn and get better at your craft. It's just like you need to engage with things that you probably wouldn't expect to. Mm -hmm. But you, it's like really the only way that you like can expand stuff. You know, like and 
I remember there's so much music, like, I guess modern pop music. Yeah, there was, I liked the popular songs when I was growing up, but for mostly I was just like the weird heavy metal kid, mm-hmm. you know? And like, whatever, Spice Girls, Britney Spears, sure. Street Boys, whatever. Yeah. I don't care about any of that. But once I started recording music and like learning about like, production techniques i started to get really fascinated with pop in the way that they do vocal layerings and all these different like just magic tricks to make these songs sound as clean and polished as they do even though like my heart lives in like very raw grimy metal stuff it's like from a production standpoint this is nuts and like i listen to it and like i'm like thinking in my head like how many takes did they have to do to do this? How many different layers did they do to do this? And like, is that like a real guitar? Not a real guitar. Those real drums, not real drums. And like just picking apart all those things. It's really fun. And just trying to learn how to absorb things from those recordings and use them, learn how to do the different techniques and apply it to what you're doing is always cool. Yeah, I've had that same experience in the past year, I think. Um, there were definitely songs a couple of years ago that I really liked, but I even there were times where like I remember like a good one was like Billie Eilish Bad Guy, where like I that song came out. I was like, oh, this is great. And I remember I went to this would have been two or three years ago. I went to play along to it one time and I was like, Yeah, this isn't it just kicked. This isn't really fun. I'm gonna go back to whatever else I was doing. But now having more of an appreciation for recording and also live performance, like I watch videos of like Billie Eilish has an awesome live drummer. His name's like Andrew Marshall, I think. And like when he's playing for you know tens of thousands of people and like that song there's a lot of like four on the floor kicks and everybody's jumping in time with his kicks man like if he gets off like a millisecond tens of thousands of people are gonna feel it so it's like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. so it's like where before when i was just playing in my basement I was like, oh, this isn't really fun but now i have a new appreciation for like they're not doing anything that complicated but the precision that those guys have to have to back up a pop singer is just insane. Like, you just have to be, like, a machine. Same with, like, Michael Jackson's drummer. I've watched him a lot on YouTube lately. Same kind of thing. It's, like, not doing anything crazy complicated, but his timing is just, like, perfect. And sure. that's, like, such a skill on its own. Yeah, the, the nuance of all that stuff. And if you are ever interested uh, in watching some, like, studio production videos and breakdowns, there's actually a couple really good ones that I watched with uh, Billie Eilish and Phineas. I've uh, seen a couple, yeah, yeah like, not a just, ton, but yeah. Yeah, just like breaking down like Pro Tool sessions of mm-hmm. songs that they've done. And it's really, really rad because like even though the song, um, the songs are very... Um, very minimal. That's that's the word I'm looking for. They're very minimal, but the production is not minimal. There's a lot of like layers of different things that like you don't really hear until they start muting tracks and like you know bringing everything you kind of hear like oh wow there's a lot of work that goes into making something like this simple i remember yeah. uh years and years and years ago um me and uh, a friend of mine had like a joke kind of uh just like pop rap sort of project that we were doing um i was like making all of the beats and like she was just you know writing all the raps mm-hmm. and stuff and we were just it was just for fun mm-hmm. and like i was really trying to emulate some of the like modern pop rap production techniques of the time of like 
2013, 2014, very minimal. And it was like so much harder for me to just find like a very simple monophonic melody and like drums that hit in a way that's like catchy. It's like so much easier for me to like write this really dense, thick layered hip hop beat with all sorts of like dramatic elements. Like I could do that like that, but something so simple. I was like, fuck, like how do you, how it, 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 it's just like, my brain is like, it's not enough. But then I like go back to all my like references and things that I was like trying to like pull inspiration from. And I'm like, they pulled it off. What am I missing? You know, it's a lot of fun trying to learn how to like, find uh just a simple melody and a simple thing that just really really works uh pharrell was really really good at that Mm -hmm. like with uh a lot of the stuff that like the beat for drop it like it's hot yeah it's like not a whole lot there's nothing to it at all barely anything it's mostly just drums vocal sample and then some chords and it's on a loop Mm -hmm. but like I think a lot of that too is just the attitude of the vocal performances really sells it too. Yeah. And the other thing with like minimal music, whether it's the production or the drumming or anything else is that I think that playing more complicated parts on paper, sometimes maybe that requires more technique to do. So like with drums, like playing like double bass or playing blast beats or something that's hard. It's like, being able to physically perform that is hard and you have to work hard. To, and even I'm not like I've been into like double bass stuff for a couple of years now. And even now I'm not great at it. So like there's the physical performance aspect, but then when it comes to writing, sometimes that can actually be a crutch where it's like, I don't know what to do here. So I'm just going to play really busy mm. and like songs where like there's real, that was so going back to Josh Dunn. That's one thing I love about him is that, live and I mean it's I don't know what goes on I mean there's a good chance that most of the drums are just programmed at this point but like watching him play live and thinking about it as a drummer it's like man if I was playing this song I would want to do more fills and more things than he's doing like having like the discipline to like play very minimally and like making the right decisions of like what's gonna sound good is like a whole nother skill that I think people don't always think about maybe non-musicians or maybe you know, yeah, other music. I don't know, but yeah, like having like restraint and also like making good decisions within a very like very like restrictive kind of grid you're giving yourself is a big skill, and that was one of the things I loved about him. So I've had this issue a lot, especially playing in heavy metal bands, where you're in a room writing music with you know four other people that are very very talented at what they do Mm -hmm. and metal is a genre that kind of leans towards the elaborate yeah absolutely (laughs) and uh so when you know you have guitar players writing parts and drummers writing parts um everybody kind of wants to be flashy because that's part of the culture of what that music is it's flamboyant it's flashy it's over the top it's heavy metal baby but it's really easy i think to think about sure like maybe this guitar part that i'm doing isn't complicated and maybe this drum like maybe i could put a bunch of crazy drum stuff in here but the thing that we need to remember and this is kind of like we talked about this earlier 
does all of this stuff actually sound good together? Right. You know, when we get to a studio to record this, is all of this busyness going to make sense on top of each other? And if the idea is we're just trying to make a good song, the end goal of our thing, we need to maybe understand that, okay, maybe that guitar part in this section isn't that complicated. Maybe there isn't a bunch of drum fills here, but when everything's all together with the bass and the vocals and the other guitar and all, it's just going to sound fucking cool. Yeah. And the, the goal is to make a cool song, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about that song I played on earlier that's that's like unreleased at the like disco jam. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, my favorite drum performance that I've ever done on a recording. I'm so excited to show it to the world. And, and uh, Mark, the dude, is doing a whole bunch of like, he's doing like a video and he's shopping it around. So hopefully it'll be like a sweet release and people might actually hear my playing, which would be great. Hell yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the more simple drum parts. It's like, it's like a very cool, I think, cool kind of like groovy, like Stevie Wonder groove. It's got some kind of like choppy, like hi-hat stuff. But there's not really very many fills. I do like one really cool fill at the end. And Mark's always like, oh, that's so cool when you do that. But like, it's very like, it's not necessarily minimal because there is like complicated rhythms, but it's not flashy necessarily. I don't think anybody would listen to that and be like, wow, these drums sound so complicated. Yeah. You know, um, are you a Deftones fan at all? Not a ton. Yeah, so uh, I believe their drummer's name is Abe Cunningham. I think um, you're right. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. He, uh, really, really good in the pocket drummer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a band that could be very heavy, but also super groove oriented, mm -hmm. he never overplays, you know? Yeah. And it's always like just the rhythm is exactly what it needs to be. And if there is a fill, it's exactly what it needs to be and it's so cool mm -hmm. really really good drummer for especially for a band like that yeah 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 there's um there's a famous you probably know him todd suckerman um he played drums with sticks for a while okay. and now he does a lot of he's like one of those he's just like a like god tier like rock session drummer he gets like flown all over the world for bands to like play on he's just like a perfect drummer and he does a lot of educational stuff i actually saw i went to a master class and got to meet him a couple weeks ago um and stuff music nice. had him in town which was great just like how often do you get to meet somebody like that so it was awesome one thing that he talks about a lot is just what you're saying how like he is a very very technically proficient drummer he can do things that probably 95 percent of drummers couldn't play but even he is more concerned about serving the song that he talks a lot about how like i can do all this crazy stuff but i chose not to because i didn't think it was like you know like if you're playing like a backbeat and you do like do do boo like just like really basic and that sounds cool in the song that might be way better than like you know yeah. something crazy <laughs> yeah, right yeah. totally yeah that's that's like a huge other part of drumming and musicianship in general is like is like what's gonna sound the best and that's something that i try to think about a lot like yeah. you know listening to other players is just like not even the technique so much it's like oh i like like the decisions that they made here and that's that's one thing I love about Josh Dunn, tying back to that again. It's like I feel like I'll listen, I'll be like, man, if I was writing drums for these instruments, I would not have thought of this, but it sounds great. This is definitely like the perfect drum part for this song. Yeah, there's um a really cool uh interview that I listened to with uh I think his name is Kevin Parker, uh Tame Impala. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and he was talking about 
um, writing music. And I actually think I was talking about this on my last episode that I did. Uh, so that's funny. I'm always just talking about right, the same yeah, shit over same and over. Shit, yeah. Back to like, why do we keep doing these fucking podcasts? I'm just talking about the same thing over and over again. Um, no, uh, but he was talking about um, writing songs and how important drums are in the sense of like having a, a rhythm that's reliable for the listener. So in a sense, like whenever they're hearing something for the first time, they can kind of just like feel naturally where it's going to go. And sometimes if you're a drummer that overplays or throws in a lot of things, it might be technically flashy for anybody that is into drums on a technical level. But for the average person, it might be too much for them. It's like if I'm talking like this and, you know, we're having this conversation all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, what the fuck? Where'd that come from? Right. You know, like, you know, you might like actually like startle people off of like, the groove that they're kind of getting into. Yeah, I think a perfect example of what you're talking about with drums and the band in general is Dream Theater. <laughs> they're they're so they're like the most te- every one of them is like one of the most technically proficient people at that instrument in the world, but it's like horrible in my opinion. Some people love them. I think that they're miserable to listen to cuz it's so it's so technically <laughs> That's so funny. Sorry. Okay. I don't know if you're a Dream Theater fan and I'm like ruining your... No, I, I like some of their stuff. Some of I like stuff some I of their stuff, yeah. but, but some of it is... So there's one song that's like drummer hell called The Dance of Eternity. Okay. It has like 115 time changes and it uses like 17 time signatures. It's absurd. And you listen to that and it's like, man, if I was a drummer... I mean, I am a drummer. If I was trying to learn this, it would take me <laughs> weeks. Sure. Like you have to like... Char- it's like... Four four, and then a bar of three four, and then a bar of thirteen sixteen, and then a bar of seventeen. Like it's like it's like upper math, just figuring out like how these like time signatures fit into each other. But just listening to it as a listener, it's like it doesn't even sound like mu- it's like robots playing sure. music. It's, there's like no emotion. It's like yeah. so far into the technical side of things mm-hmm. that I don't have any. I don't enjoy listening to that at all. And yes. I like I like impressive drums. You know, I like listening to stuff like wow, that sounds amazing. You know, I don't like that would be really hard to do maybe i want to learn that but like there's a point just like you were saying where it can be so over the top that it's not even fun to listen to there was a point in my life probably when i was not too much older than where you are now Mm -hmm. when i'm finding out about like bands like dream theater and uh symphony x is another one uh like progressive heavy metal, Mm -hmm. like modern progressive metal, not like old school. Yes. Type stuff, but modern shit where like there are these like real intricate compositions. And as somebody that's starting to like get into the idea and learning about, you know, Oh, different music theory and time signatures and stuff like that. I'm like kind of fascinated in hearing this approach to songwriting because it's so different than anything I was used to. And like, I kind of like, I'm like getting into it and I'm like, this is cool just to hear and see music's mu- pe- musicians play on this level. And then yeah. like you had bands that were even more adjacent to kind of what I was super into, like between the barrier to me mm-hmm. where they're pulling influence from those bands, but bringing it even more into like the modern metal side sure. of things. And I'm like, this is cool. But then I started to like, remember like, Oh, I like songs. Right. Like, you know, like I don't need something to be 12 and a half minutes long and go through all of these different phases. I like a fucking intro, <laughs> verse, chorus, verse, bridge, you know, yeah. whatever. I like that format, but with 
the technical proficiency. So like the dream theater stuff that I probably like the most is, is the ones that sound more like a yeah, song. They have like, like, yeah, there's a record that they have called train of thought. Um, that is like probably like their most like metal record. Sure. And like most of the songs on it, they're still long. I mean, they're, they're like still hard. I'm six, sure. seven yeah. minute long songs, but they have like typical structures right. a lot more than like their, some of their other material. It's just like, it's like insane. Yeah. It's just like you picked a bunch of time signatures out yeah. of a hat and strung them together. It's like the, the one thing that I think is hysterical about Dream Theater, though, is for like as technically proficient as they are, they have the most mediocre vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, and like I've like thought about this so much, and I wonder. It's like he's not bad. He's not bad, but he's not like... I almost wonder if his job in the <laughs> band is to not outshine the musicians. Yeah, or just to like make it listenable. It's yeah, like, it's like, like man, it's, if we, we can do all this crazy shit, and then if we have like vocals that are like a listenable melody, maybe people will I like, mean, like I don't know, I don't know. It's like, it's like a weird, like if a band is a sandwich, right? Usually like, you know, the vocals... Oh God, I just lowered my... <laughs> I do that all the time. That's okay. On my office chair. There um, we go. You know, if the function of the band as a sandwich, right? You know what I mean? Like we'll say the rhythm section is the bread. Sure. Um the the bass is kind of like the condiments that bring everything together, but then the vocals a lot of the time are kind of like the meat of the sandwich. Yeah. In agreed. a lot of ways, yeah. right? But Dream Theater flipped it. Yeah, it's like you've got like really, really, really nice bread and condiments, and then you bought like giant eagle like lunchables well, and like put it in the sandwich. Well, it's not even like the vocals aren't even the meat. You know what I mean? It's like it's oh, like oh, it's like a different. It's, it's like the vocals are the condiments. Like it's they a, don't like you. You could give or take them. It's like and meat it, on either side. It's like with the bread meat in the is middle. all like the, like you know like it's. I would say the meat of Dream Theater is probably just the rhythm section. The bread would be all of like the guitar, fucking John Petrucci and Jordan Rudis, yeah, stuff. And then the vocals then, are yeah, just like, then what's the vocal? John Labrie or whatever. I, I don't yeah, fucking know. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, Labre, whatever. Uh, yeah, he's just like the most like lame mayonnaise fucking vocalist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, anyways, whatever. Could still yeah, sing better than you. me and a lot of sure. people. But yeah, it's just very. Ugh. Yeah, it's like for the caliber of prof of technical proficiency that all those other guys are, you would think and you would have some insane vocalist. Yeah, to go you with know what's them. funny? Actually, when I think about it, I think that his vocal performances were a lot better on their earlier material. And I wonder if maybe, you know, I don't think it's necessarily an Ollie Sykes bring me the horizon situation where he can't sing the way that he used to. But as you age, like your body does change. And I wonder if he just doesn't have the ability to like push his dynamic range in the way that he could when he was in his fucking 20s. Yeah, that definitely could be. Um, yeah, sometimes you see that. I think a great example of a band aging really well is... Um, Aha, uh -huh. like like recent <laughs> renditions of Take on Me okay. is like completely different. Did you ever see you saw Deadpool 2, I assume? Yeah. So you know like the the like slow, like ballad, like slow jam version. Yeah. Like, that's like them. That's like how they play it now. And it's like cool. It's like he probably can't do those crazy high notes. So they like changed it to fit their tastes and their abilities now. And it's cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So with all with 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 our whole conversation that we've had today. Um, we've gone down a lot of fun roads. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about our um, 
influences. We've talked about technique. We've talked about learning. We've talked about things that we like, things that we don't like. What I want to know before we, you know, pull the plug on first conversation of perhaps many more to come. Thank you for being here, by the way. Yeah, thanks great, for having Great, great podcast guest. Have you ever thanks. been on a podcast before? No, I've always... Wa- okay, this is a side tangent real quick. Yeah. I've always wanted to be on this show, but I don't want to like ask you because I'm sure that you get people all the time. And so I feel like if I had asked you, I would have never gotten on. Like, I feel like sometimes you have to like be cool and not try to like be promoting yourself all the time. I mean, if you would have asked, I probably would have said, okay. Okay, well, but, I'm glad, but, but I think that sometimes, <laughs> I think that sometimes, like, yeah, no, I totally people all the time. No, I totally get it, and I think that usually I always have a much better experience of better conversations when, like, it's just people that I'm generally curious to learn more sure. about, and I reach out to. So, uh, you're a very good talker. Oh, I'm glad. Thanks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very engaging conversation. I'm so, glad. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> glad yeah. to hear it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I do my I do my best <laughs> for, for for a drummer that doesn't sing or uh, sing talk or, or talk too much. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you what's actually funny also is that with Harkin, I love Donnie, but they're not a huge stage talker. They just like to play. Uh-huh. And there was a show we played one time where they're like string broke, and they had to like borrow somebody else like had a guitar, so they were, had to like borrow somebody's guitar, and they were tuning it and. So I came up and talked and like told <laughs> jokes and like I probably talked more in like that five minutes where Donnie was like t- ch- like tuning a string yeah, than like yeah. Donnie talked the whole show. Yeah, maybe I'll say maybe I'll like be a front man someday. I don't know, but anyways, what were you gonna ask? <laughs> well, that was uh, that's what I was gonna ask actually. Okay. Not if you were gonna be a front man, but like in terms of like you know your five to ten year hopes and dreams because so much could happen you know personally so much could happen socially with the world who knows where we're going to be where things are going to be but like what is your goal right now what's the thing that you're focusing on that you want to work on you know i definitely want to do more session work um that's something that i've gotten into recently um mostly with matt berry um just like cold calls where like somebody sends me a demo and i come up with drums and don't even run it by them like the first time like there was a i did this like metal song a couple like metal songs for this like ep with this dude and like the first time we had met and like talked about the music in person was when i was recording drums that were going to be on his thing that's such a weird thing because like with bands you like plan it out for weeks but then in a session work you might show up and like have not heard like there are guys that like look at a chart and play live. Like maybe they listen once or twice, but they're like hearing the song and then 10 minutes later they're recording it and it's going to be on an album. Yeah. That's really cool. So I think that I would love to get more into that stuff. Um, I've been trying to like do a little bit more. I like made a drummer website that I'm like hopefully going to start showing people soon. Um, Yeah. I think that just kind of building a little bit more of a portfolio and just like playing more stuff would be really cool. Just doing like random studio work. Yeah, I Um, I think that that seems like a really healthy spot for you to be in right now because like you're always going to be developing and growing mm -hmm. as an artist. And I think that putting yourself into a position to do studio work is really smart because not only are you going to get an opportunity to play a lot of different styles of music, Mm -hmm. which will like, you know, widen your abilities for things that you could do, but you're going to get to meet a ton of cool people. Hopefully, I mean, there'll probably be some duds in there, but 
Sure. That's what yeah. happens. Um, but you know, you'll get to work with a bunch of different people and you'll just be able to get this experience of like what it's like being behind the scenes. Because yeah. I think that a lot of times bands or musicians spend just a lot of time in their basements or their bedrooms and don't really get out there and understand and learn what it's like to work with other people. But that's like what really gets you to the next level is getting out of right. your damn house and interacting with other human beings that are also a part of this wild, crazy world of showbiz. Right. Yeah. And I also hope that I can like, the thing, like I don't want to be like a famous drummer ever. I don't want to be like a Travis Barker. Like I think it would be like, my goal is just to like make some cool music and like, I love playing. So if I could play some bigger shows, but I think that like a lot of people want to be a rock star and I would hope for myself that me not really trying to do that at all will give myself some opportunities that I might not have otherwise. Cause like, I don't even really need to write music. I don't have any like lyrics I've ever written and I don't even really care about writing the drums. I'm happy to like take a program drum track and just play it live. Like I just like to play and hopefully I'll play with more people in front of more people. But like, I don't know. I just, I hope that that works out. Yeah, is, is the the gist of what I'm saying. So I'm going to ask you uh, a question that normally um, a generic interviewer probably would have asked at the beginning of this episode. Okay. But uh, I, I'm only asking this because I'm genuinely curious. Sure. When did you start playing drums? Um, so I started playing, well, okay, little backstory, a lot of drummers in my extended family, my, uh, okay. my grandfather was in drumline and drum and bugle corps, um, and he taught percussion and he played in like, like classical ensemble kind of things. A lot of his sons, my uncles were drummers. So I was always around drums since I was a little kid. Um, There's like a video of me playing along to like the Muppets. And like I had like a little one of those like shitty plastic drums. And it was um Harry Belafonte was having a drum off with Animal from the Muppets. And there's this... this and what's funny is that he's not even a... <laughs> I broke. I broke Sykes. <laughs> this has been the last episode of Start the That's Beat with so Sykes. That's so funny. Okay, yeah. Cool. What's funny That's about so him rad. also is that he's not even a kit player. He does like hand percussion. So yeah, he's yeah. like hitting his uh -huh. bongos and then animals doing his crazy. <laughs> so that was my first experience. So I've always, I've always been interested in drums. And then we had like Beatles Rock Band and like that kind of thing. And I would like play drums on the like shitty yeah. rock pad. So I actually started taking lessons. I think I was eleven. So realistically, like nine years it's going on 10 years because cool. i'm turning 21 soon but i only really took it seriously for maybe half that time a lot of it was like kind of the classic like oh i don't want to go to play drums and my parents are like well you have to or else we're gonna like quit and stop paying for lessons because you're not practicing you know i think everybody goes through that at some point yeah there was a lot of it if it was just kind of like something i did but then there was a very there was like a big turning point where i was like wow i actually like love doing this i'm gonna like do it because i want to not because like people are telling me to what was the turning point um it was it was playing along to my own music because that's something that i didn't do for a long time for the probably the first four or five years i did not play two songs that i listened to i just played like sheet music and oh, okay and whatever my drum yeah. teacher was giving me um so yeah i think i think starting to do that 
again, going back to like 21 pilots, I remember like seeing like Josh Dunn do his like crazy, like crowd surfing thing. Have you seen that where he like mm -hmm. puts a kid on the audience? And I was like, man, like drums are like really cool live and like they can be like a big focal point. And then I started trying to play along to 21 pilot songs and then other bands, you know, Fall Out Boy, other similar bands that I was into. Um, and then I had some friends who were really, my friends and I at the time were really into Panic at the Disco and we just like for the hell of it, there was like another band that was doing like an MCR tribute show at Black Forge Coffee House. And so then like they needed like an opener. So my friends and I threw together like a Panic at the Disco tribute show. That's a bold move. Those are some complex songs. Panic at the Disco? Yeah. Ah, they're, I feel like they're mostly pop rock. I feel like maybe it's just really complex production on the studio. The, the production and the vocals are hard. Yeah. We had a good singer, but the drums are, I mean, there's some harder parts, but it's pretty like alt rock. It's not anything super. I mean, I was able to do it and I sucked. So nice. watch cool. those videos back and yeah. I sucked. I think that maybe but, there is, um, I guess I've never really tried to break down the DNA of a Panic at the Disco song, believe it or not. But I do think of, when I think of them, I only think of uh, Fever You Can't Sweat Out era. Sure. And that record just, I guess, vocally and production wise, is just very over the top. Yeah. Crazy synths and crazy yeah. stuff. They're actually, it's funny we didn't mention that, they're actually a pretty good example of a band that like, evolved a lot of people think they're like two on the pop side and they sold out whatever i think that they had a pretty cool progression at this point it's just kind of like the senior brendan yuri's like I, like ego project but i would rather uh brendan yuri be doing the music that he's doing now instead of continuing to do yeah what i agree they're yeah. i mean honestly like even after they put after a fever you can't sweat out they released another album not too long after that and even that was already in it going pretty in odd that's one yeah. that's like very much a beetle that's like sergeant pepper yeah 2. It was already that's like a very like 60s like beetles yeah they like. were already going in a different direction so yeah um i forgot what i was gonna say yeah but so that was that was kind of the first Oh yeah, you were you, were, yeah, actual, you did the panic at the disco. I did the panic at the disco tribute show. And yeah. you know what's really funny? It came full circle. Um, so I didn't mention this. So now I rent a practice space, and I it's the practice space that Back Alley Sound practices at with yeah. Jordan Boslin. You know him, you've had know, him on yeah. the show and stuff. So he's a friend of mine, and I he showed me his practice space, and I was like, Oh, this is dope. Would you ever want to split it? Because he was paying for it himself. And man, I'm sure you know paying for a practice space. You're entirely your own is expensive. That's why bands usually split it with other bands. Yeah. So what's funny that I learned is that pure coincidence, he was at the first show I ever... So he was at the Panic <laughs> the Disco show watching me probably suck, had no idea who I was. And then years later, we came became friends and now I like share a practice space with him. It's just funny how that stuff like happens sometimes. That's awesome. Just like a weird coincidence. Hell yeah. Well... I think that with all of that being said, we could probably uh, wrap up this one. We've had a pretty healthy length of a conversation today. What are we at? What We're are we? an hour and 26 minutes. Damn. All right. Yeah. Well. yeah. It's almost a feature length film. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah we're like a third of the way through a Lord of the Rings movie. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whenever you, the next time you come back, we'll, we'll, it'll be the two towers, and then the third one will be Return of the King. Leo Rogers, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yo, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It was really great to chat. Yeah, awesome. it was super fun. I'm glad I got to be on it and that I didn't blow it with a cold call that made you not ever want to hang out with me. Yeah, no, this was great. This was super awesome. Uh, so I guess until the next time that you're here or the next time I, I don't know, I'll probably see you 
somewhere somewhere somehow but uh for anyone who's uh watching and or listening thanks for being here i'll be back again whenever i feel like it i am no longer uh forcing myself to be on a consistent schedule that's good uh because it just it doesn't really matter i don't think you care (laughs) i don't think i care and i don't mean that in a negative way it's just like hey i'd rather put out one really good episode every once in a while instead of like one good episode every once in a while sandwiched in between 10 garbage episodes episodes. Yeah, Yeah. yeah you know what i mean so yeah I have no idea. I don't have another guest booked to come on the show anytime soon. That would just be like the Sykes and Leah yeah. Rogers podcast hey, from now be, on. It wouldn't be that wouldn't be the worst thing, honestly. This was way more engaging than a lot of the ding dongs I've had on. I'm the best. Yeah. I'm the best podcast ghost. Sykes is uh, <laughs> podcast ghost. Yeah. Podcast uh, host. So yeah. yeah, I mean that's really about it. I don't know. I'll be back when I'm back. Uh, and you won't when you won't. Yeah. And I won't be if, if I'm not here, I'm doing something else. But uh I seriously, thank you all for hanging out. Uh be sure to check out Leo playing a show probably with Harkin, Millville Music Fest. And Delizio, actually. We're doing both. Which oh, nice. Yeah. Harkin's Friday night, Delizio Saturday night. So that'll be nice that they're spaced down. I can do both of them. Hell yeah. What 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 time are you playing on Saturday? Uh it's actually a sweet, a sweet spot. We're closing Grist House, which is usually like pretty sweet yeah. i think for mill you know it'd be a lot of drunk millvone mill millvonians around Milvone, there yeah nice that's what they're called um so i think like nine o'clock at grist house on saturday with delizio and then i think harkin's playing at 10 p.m on friday night at whisper nest hell yeah so 10 p.m friday night whisper nest 9 p.m saturday grist house i'm like figuring this out myself in real time yeah i don't, I don't know these times nice. either so i will not be in pittsburgh on friday but if you are go see harkin I will be in Pittsburgh on Saturday. All right. Gray Walker is playing uh, at the community center on what the, time me- are you guys the metal stage, 7 p.m. All right. Well, I'll I'll watch you play in Gray Walker and then I'll go set up for Delizio. Yeah, and, I, and I'll go watch you all play. Great. I'll come down, Sweet. I'll come down and try to get a beer. It's just always way too many people down there. Yeah, you just gotta bring your own, I think. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that out loud. No, you don't bring your own. <laughs> yeah. Nobody would ever do that. Yeah. Who would who, who who would do that? <laughs> yeah, who who in the world would ever do such a thing? Okay, well, we're at just about ninety minutes. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna keep talking until it Let's reaches see. exactly ninety minutes. What are we? We got right uh, we got about twenty seconds left to go. What are we only talking about for twenty seconds. Um, if you could do anything but play drums, what would it be? Shower. And that's 90 minutes. It's been fun. (laughs) And uh, three, two, one. 90 minutes, we're done.